This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Statistics have shown that one in four people will suffer with a mental ill health issue in any given year. Over the past 25 years, anxiety and depression in teenagers has risen by 70%. Adam didn't believe that he was going to get better and he could give you, and you could look on his Facebook wall, the list of treatments and medications that he's tried over the years, tried and they failed him. We came to realize that every time we had a conversation with him, it might be our last. There's a lot of pressure these days to be a real man. My dad would have called me a sissy if he'd known how weak I feel sometimes. I had a great boyfriend, great friends. It's like depression always loves to choose the most perfect time to kind of come in and shake up your life. Next thing I knew, it was a month or two of me not leaving my bed, me starting to cut, blacking out, literally my mind going blank and not knowing what happened. I remember thinking early on, how could this amazing, spirited young woman go from fully alive to dead? I began reading everything I could, just trying to understand it. But why is there so much stigma attached to mental illness when it's not, there's no stigma to have other diseases like cancer? It's not unusual to hear people with mental illness described as weak, lazy, violent, unmotivated. And conversely, people battling cancer are described as strong, brave, determined, and courageous. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. Suicide is not usually talked about in our society unless you attend a specific workshop on the topic. It is one of those shunned themes among most Americans. Yet the statistics are telling us how common it is in our society. In 2015, the most recent year for which data is available, approximately 575,000 people visited a hospital for injuries due to self-harm. Suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. for all ages, and every day approximately 129 Americans die by suicide. There is one death by suicide in the U.S. every 12 minutes. Suicide takes the lives of over 44,965 Americans every year. An estimated quarter million people become suicide survivors every year in the U.S. There is one suicide for every 25 suicide attempts. One last statistic, in 2017, firearms accounted for about 50% of all suicide deaths. While there are many factors that go into why someone feels so hopeless that they want to end their lives. Today, my guest has written a book that tells the story of how his wife ended her life. Jim Hansen wrote Hope Amid Hopelessness to help people recognize that there is hope in God and help available for loved ones experiencing depression and hopelessness. Jim Hansen is a speaker, teacher, author, and today we talk about his experience with suicide. Well, it's our privilege once again to talk with Jim Hansen, who has had an incredible 
incredible journey with a loved one, and he wrote a book about it. The name of that particular book is Hope Amid Hopelessness. Jim, catch us up on the basic theme of this book. The basic theme of this book is God's story working in my life, in particular as I as my wife struggled with mental illness and then ultimately committed suicide. It's how God helped me through that whole process. It's quite a a heart-touching story, actually, as I've been reading through the chapters. There's such intricate examples of what you were going through, what Laura was going through. So it's it's a compelling read, actually. Are you finding people coming back and saying, hey, this is really, really good? Yeah, I've actually had quite a few very positive responses on it. In fact, there was one time I sold a copy of the book to one of my neighbors and she was driving down the street as I was walking my dog and she stopped and I rolled down the window and she said your book it's really been helping me I don't know that you knew that I struggled with mental illness and what you've written has helped me Praise God was my response. Well, I think a lot of times people don't think of mental illness as something most general public really suffers with. It's just a small fraction of people who are in institutions, but that's not the case, is it? No, it's not. A fairly large percentage of Americans suffer from mental illness. I know that the National Association for the Mentally Ill say that at least 20% of people are suffering from mental illness at a given point in time all the time. And then there is a larger percentage, and I don't recall what that percentage is, that suffer with it at some point in time in their life. And it's like up in the 80s percentage. So it's a common thing that all of us go through. The case with Laura, the difference was, and a lot of times those depressions would sometimes be categorized as situational depressions. You lose a job, you're depressed. Your mom or dad die of old age. Yeah, you're depressed for a while. You know, but when it gets to clinical depression, it's a long-term deep state of depression. It's not something that comes, goes in a year or two. It's long-term. Well, you have a friend with you today, and he's going to help us unpack the contents of the book and how it has affected him. And Steve Hallstrom is his name. Tell us a little bit about Steve, and then we can ask Steve some of his insight. I met Steve a couple years ago at church in the men's ministry at Grace a Church, Eden Prairie. And Steve was one of the instructors for the Genesis series that we were going through there. And I became impressed with Steve's ability to look at the Word of God and bring it into in real-life applications. And in doing that, I then asked him prior to publishing the book if he'd actually read the manuscript and and comment on it. And so he did, and he had some things to say that I think other people should hear. Before the the interview, I I was just talking with Steve, and I think, Steve, you're kind of a, a guy that goes after detail. I think when you teach the Word of God in your men's group, you're really looking for some detail and driving them deeper. So is that how you looked at this book? You looked at it from a, a deeper perspective rather than just skimming over it? Yeah, I think that's a very fair uh, understanding of what I was bringing to this uh, request from Jim. I was just thinking right now, when you asked that question, Larry, that uh, 1 Peter 3.15 comes up, and I know that's about giving an answer for God's hope, right, and for the doctrines that we're supposed to teach, but I was looking at the book the same way, about what this terrible tragedy of a story and how the human sadness and how we can just coil in within each other, but then how the book transitions to this, to the title, Hope Amid Hopelessness, that, wow, 
that is so exciting for a person to be able to share. And so you don't deny the tragedy into your discussion just a minute ago of how deep or pervasive this is within our society. But then to give this other side, which I don't think we necessarily would see in secular materials to answer these questions. Steve, who should actually read the book? I mean, you don't necessarily have to lose somebody to suicide to read this book, right? You can get something out of it from just reading it because of the story itself. Yeah, absolutely. Even in the first couple chapters of this book, you see all the friends in their lives lives together. And all those friends weren't necessarily living a day-to-day like Jim and Laura were, but they were living with them. And you know we all have friends, relatives, acquaintances, work, colleagues that someone is going through if you're keeping your antenna up and your perceptors of what's going on around you. And so I think, wow, what a way to make you aware of so many things that might be hidden by society. And at the same time, being able to use that to have another relationship grow. So Jim, as the author, obviously the book is for the general public, but specifically it is targeting somebody who does go through tragedy, correct? Yeah, it's, it's targeting somebody that goes through tragedy. It also can be targeting somebody that's in the midst of being a caregiver for a loved one that potentially could end up with losing them through death. Because as you're a caregiver, you struggle with that in the back of your mind all the time. And, and so my hope is that the book will give them some encouragement as well. And it's also, to me, even though my wife died of the tragic death of suicide, does not mean that other people don't lose loved ones tragically. They get hit by a car. They get murdered, for heaven's sake, or whatever it might be. But there are tragic losses. To me, it's just also just general, how does God work in in somebody's life? So if, if you're struggling with God's working in your life, to me, it's a book that can help answer those questions. So coming back to you, Steve, when we talk about what we take away, the takeaways from things we hear, see, or read, what do you think people will take away from this book? First, they're going to hear uh, a story of a husband and wife and uh, going through from courtship through early stages of marriage to the struggles that Laura went through and the Jim uh, obviously uh, went through as well with her. And then you hear that narrative and you see that and that life led through that time. And the book transitions then with what I would just call a wonderful doctrinal statement on who God is. Scripture is the ultimate answer to the questions of the reality of life. And no, not everybody believes that, but I know I've had so many friends that have come to Christ later in life saying, yeah, this is the only book that really answers life's hard questions or life's questions, okay? It answers reality. And when you come to that point of reality hitting you and finally having to deal with it, I think Jim's book just does a wonderful job of tying that in, of lacing those uh, scripture passages through this narrative of a very difficult story, not just between Jim and Laura, but also between friends trying to help, and they weren't very helpful. You know, pastors not really understanding this illness, all right? And to Jim's point, the problem of sin and how that's the root cause of this as well. One of the things I really enjoy about the book is not only is the narrative of Laura and Jim's story being told in a, in a very wonderful way, but Jim brings a lot of scripture into the whole process because really, I mean, opinions are just that, opinions. But when scripture is used to define something that's going on, what do you think? Do you think the scripture was very helpful, Steve, in terms of what Jim was writing? Absolutely. Not just placing the scripture in 
as an appendix, but threading it through the narrative of the story and picking those perfect moments. I had mentioned talking before we uh, started broadcasting that end of chapter six, I just wrote down a list of doctrines that have already been discussed in the book. And I came up with 12 of them, doctrine of the Trinity, doctrine of sovereignty, providence, mercy, grace, forgiveness. And it's such a wonderful, wonderful story. And I'm reminded, you know, this is something I learned in a discussion with Kevin DeYoung, that God's word and what it says is always true. And I'm going to give you one chapter that if you want to go through 176 verses in this chapter, so we know it's from Psalms, right? Psalms 119, you are going to get loaded with adjectives of God's word, whether it's, there's trust in it, it's true, it's fixed, it's perfect, it endures forever, it's righteous, it's, it's sure in its footing. And there's just so many more that you could go through that chapter that just fits, I think, perfectly with what Jim was attempting to do in putting this book together for the person suffering through this loss. And Jim, that was intentional, I'm sure, on your part, right? Why don't you address that and tell us exactly why so much scripture was used in terms of bringing this story out? I actually like to talk about this as being not my story, but rather God's story working in my life. And the way that God worked in my life was through his word and through his scriptures. And that's primarily the main way that he worked in my life during this period of time. And it was important for me to write and actually include the passages in the book. Because with me, if I'm reading a book and it says, according to Matthew 7, 13, I don't pull out my Bible and go look at Matthew 7, 13. I just assume it's in there and it's true. Well, I wanted them to hear God's word And the only way to do that was to actually put the scripture passage in the book. So many times people, you know, they walk by feelings. Everything is is not by fact or by faith, it's by emotion. So when we talk about faith and trying to live by faith, some things in life you cannot answer except by believing by faith. Is that correct? I mean, it seems to me that's what this book is trying to drive at. Faith has got to be the preeminent sort of direction after a loss like this, right? Faith not only after the loss, but before the loss. Faith was so important for me to learn to trust God that he was in control of the whole situation. The other options that exist out there are just not acceptable to me. And the book talks about each of those options. Satan could be in control. Nobody could be in control, so we're in anarchy. Somebody else could be in control. Or I could be in control, and if I were in control, none of you would like that. You could write a book about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Steve, it seems like you happen to have a good handle on doctrine, and you you sort of, you have a propensity that way. So what kind of doctrines are addressed in this book? First and foremost, God's sovereignty. I think that's uh, where Jim, just with our discussions in our, from our Bible studies and our personal talks, that rules his life. And so it obviously comes out in his writings through this situation. And, you know, of trying to tie these together, doctrines and feelings, which can be dangerous. But, uh, you know, I am not an emotional guy, all right, watching movies and that. But I'm going to tell you, just reading the first 40 pages of this uh, book, I was crying three or four times. It just, it just got me. And so then you got to be careful, right, with that feelings of where do I go with that, all right? Because our feelings usually start with self. But faith, as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 talks us, comes from God. And so this is the struggle, I think, that, that the overall struggle of all humanity, that we're constantly dealing with this. And here is a specific incident 
that, no, not everybody goes through, but we all go through loss. And so how do we tie this together and then add in those doctrines and not allow our individual sovereignty to overwhelm God's? And I think Jim did a phenomenal job of, uh, as I mentioned before, of lacing those verses in to explain the situations. And I mean even painful situations of friends who think they're being helpful. And it was just another dagger in the heart and just brings you down another day. We have to learn better. We have to uh, come together better to understand. And I think, as Psalms 119 shares, of going through those three things that it does. God's word is true. It's what God's word is right. So it's a moral duty. And God's word is good. It's a moral value. And I think if we understand that and we apply that to whatever loss we have in our life, your life is going to have some meaning. Summum bonum is the Latin word I like to use. That That's a perfect piece. And that's what I think we're going to have in glory. So Steve, because you said you're not an emotional guy, but if you had known Jim and Laura back in the day, you probably would not have seen the kind of things that were actually going on behind closed doors. Did it help you become a little bit more sensitive to the people around you, thinking that just maybe there are some things like what happened to Jim and Laura happening today in their lives? Absolutely. You get a little more personal now to my sister and I. We might have had some tension in our life. I remember just from, from starting this in February, I think, of treating her better of me personally treating her better. And then ultimately, my relationship with my wife, of that I've got to be a more loving, kind person that is understanding her needs and her emotions and, and listening to her instead of thinking I have to get the last word. I remember we got a lot of young kids in our lives right now, a lot of them getting married. And I said, I wish I knew this, you know, back when I got married. And this is what I wish I knew as a man going into a relationship as Jim and Laura in a marriage relationship, that I wish I f- knew I didn't have to get the last word. We would have saved so much pain. Mm-hmm. We would have saved so much anguish, so much argument in our relationship. And more importantly, we then would have been closer to God in our sanctification. Jim, what about you? What would be the big takeaway for you after you wrote this book? I mean, you put it, all your emotions in there. You put the facts. You put the scripture. You put the ministry in there. So what has God said to you or what have you learned as a result of writing this book? What are your takeaways? Probably the biggest takeaway is that God's ultimately in control of all things. And when bad things happen to you, it's not because God wanted them to happen to you, but he allowed them to happen to you. Two, I think the other thing was is that I needed to learn better how to live by faith instead of feelings. And as an example, Laura asked me the question, why am I still with you? Well, I'm still with her and stayed married to her, not necessarily because I felt like this was a great fun thing to do, but because I had faith in a covenant relationship that I made with her and God that said, I have to stay here with you. And it was by faith that I stayed and not by feelings. And so that would be a good example of that. So sometimes you got to live by faith and not by feelings would be be another one. And, and ultimately, sometimes it's better to say nothing than to say something. Steve mentioned that there were times when Christians said things that were hurtful. And we don't think of them as being hurtful because we're quoting a scripture passage to them. So we don't think of it as being hurtful. But sometimes given a situation, even that can be hurtful. And so one of the things that, as I've talked to other suicide survivor people, is is that the most important thing you can do for a suicide survivor like me is a ministry of presence. Just be there for me. It's not about giving me the answers because you can't. God hasn't answered all of my questions, but one of the things I tell my friend, God hasn't answered all my questions, but I know he has an answer for every one of them. 
One of the things that it has done for me as I watched you in the aftermath, I didn't know you before when you were married to Laura, but for my takeaway, I looked at a man who said, for better or for worse, and you followed that commitment. You lived some of the most horrendous times trying to figure out what your loved one was going through. Will this loved one survive? Will I see her again? That sort of thing. And you didn't turn around and run. You stood your ground and defended that vow to the very day that the tragedy took place. And afterwards, this is a book of not only love, but reminding people that there is a better or worse. And with God, everything can get better in time. Right. Same time I was uh, reading this, in my uh, regular Thursday morning small group, we're going through the screw tape letters. Just to set it up really quickly, but I want to give two quotes from that because it fits into this battle that we have that I think the book answers, okay? Remember it's screw tape, the senior demon, informing Wormwood, the junior tempter, his nephew, how to go in and cause chaos in the world with these people who want to follow the enemy. Remember, the enemy is Jesus, right? And their father below is Satan. And so this is screw tape to Wormwood. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants, that's Jesus, he wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and, and flows over. Our war aim in a, is a world in which our father below has drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. And so this story talks about a distinction of lives, right? But the desire, and I'm telling you that the example you just gave, Jim, about the covenant discussion you had with Laura, that is what got me. Because you put that in the context of today's world, where we can't keep simple agreements, let alone marital covenant contracts and uh, decisions we make together. And it was just such an aberration from the world. And I wouldn't say in the church, but even in the church, it could be aberrational in some aspects in that. And the last thing, one more section, he says, do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, what you just did in that example, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished. That's what the story is telling, right? Your world vanished for for that instance. And ask, why has he been forsaken and still obeys? That's the story of the book, right? Of uh, we still obey. As you just said, Jim, even when I don't have those answers, I know they're there, but we're still going to obey. And that's not a blind faith. That's a faith based on evidence. And the evidence is Jesus Christ rising from his tomb. Good thoughts there, Steve. Really appreciate that. Jim, how do we get the book? Give us the title again and where can people find it? The title of the book is Hope Amid Hopelessness with a subtitle, Our Abba Father Provides a Straight Path Through Mental Illness. And you can find it at hopeamidhopelessness.com. That is hopeamidhopelessness.com. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. <laughs>